Greetings, friends. Thanks for joining us for our RRUMC podcast. We are in episode two of our current series, Tough Questions for Christians. And uh, the series is exactly what it sounds like it is, us uh, breaking down uh, some of those difficult questions that perhaps have been posed to you or, or someone you know uh, regarding the Christian faith, perhaps by a, a skeptic of the faith or even by another Christian who's trying to uh, discern the best way to be able to tackle those questions uh, when they encounter them in their own lives. Uh, so uh, Pastor Paul here with you, as I said, uh, Stephen Young, our Director of Youth Ministries, uh, as always, is is uh, with me on the podcast, and I'm uh, pleased to to welcome our guest for the week, much anticipated for, for several weeks. We've been uh, prepping you for his presence. Reverend Dan Bogri, our uh, senior pastor here at Rocky River United Methodist Church, is with us today. Welcome, Dan. Hi, everybody, and thanks for uh, inviting me to be a part of it today. Appreciate it. So our, our podcast today, as I said, Tough Questions for Christians, our, our format uh, this week, as it was last, was for each of us here on the podcast to tackle one tough question and, uh, and then leave opportunity for the others uh, to dialogue, interject, uh, disagree, um, uh, harass, and, and, uh, and, and get on our case about whatever we say. Whatever will make this a, a more fruitful experience for our listeners and, and entertaining uh, as we go is our, our goal. Uh, but mostly we just hope you come away with some nuggets, uh, some new wisdom on how to address some of these tough questions that we're sure to encounter at some point in our lives uh, as witnesses for Christ as we uh, come across people who are struggling with some of these difficult issues. So uh, our, our guest, Dan, is going to take us away with uh, question number one. All right. Thanks again for having me. And uh, when uh, Paul and Stephen talked to me about this, uh, one of the questions that I've been asked many times and now getting ready to start my 25th year in full-time Christian ministry, hear this all the time, why do bad things happen? And usually they say, why bad things happen to good people? The fact is it happens to good people and bad people. It's No one is immune to bad things happening in their life. So I wanted to start by saying it wasn't always that way. If we go back to the beginning of Genesis, chapter 1 and 2, it talks about God putting this beautiful world together and that everything was as it should be. And at the end of day 6, it says God looked at everything he created and it was good, comma, very good. So God knew that God got it right, right? It's God didn't make any mistakes. So everything was as it should be. Adam and Eve are in the garden. Um, they're literally in a daily relationship with God based on love. They love God. God loves them. At the end of chapter 2, it says Adam and Eve uh, were both naked and they felt no shame. They didn't even know it because they didn't know anything other than a perfect relationship with God. So first of all, it, it wasn't always that way. Bad things didn't always happen until... Um, we talk about what else happened in the Garden of Eden between Adam and Eve and the serpent. So as we, we think about that, um, someone asked me once in my career, Does, did God create evil? And that I'd never had that question before. And I really stewed about it and prayed about what, what my answer would be. And I thought, well, here uh, we hear in the Garden of Eden that God had created the tree of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. So the tree was there, and evil was present in the garden, but God said, have nothing to do with it. But we have this text from Genesis chapter 3 where it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? 
And they had. Adam and Eve had eaten from the tree that God had told them to stay away from. And that tree of good and evil, so evil has now come to life, not because of what God did, but because Adam and Eve chose to become instruments for evil in the world by eating of the fruit. And then those two who didn't care that they were naked before now feel ashamed and they're hiding from God. Can you believe it? Hiding from God. And so because of that, we call that the fall. And ever since then, bad things are a part of the world that we live in. It's just a natural state. It's been broken because of a decision that Adam and Eve made so many years ago. We now live in a, we call it a fallen world, but it's fallen because of what we have done. We're all ancestors of Adam and Eve, and because of that, we're all part of this hereditary disease called sin. So does evil exist? Did God create it? What was there? We gave it life, right? And because of that, now bad things just happen in this world because it's a fallen and broken world. Now, so the question is, does does God point his finger and say, this person's going to have cancer? Does God uh, point to this person and say, this two-year-old's going to die from cancer? And I don't believe that, that God makes things happen like that to teach us a lesson. I believe that God that God can allow things like that to happen, and he could stop them, right? Hurricane Katrina, could God have stopped it from happening? Absolutely. But I don't think God made a catastrophe happen, quote-unquote, teach us a lesson, right? Um, take Job, for example, the book of Job. Um, in Job, I'm going to read a little bit from chapter uh, 1. It says, uh, Satan, Satan comes to God and says to God, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. So God's saying, Job loves me because he's righteous, not because I allow him to have all these good things in his life or because I bless him with these good things. So God says, all right, you can do whatever you want to him, but you can't kill him because if you kill him, Job can't prove his righteousness. So all of a sudden, Satan just gets rid of his livestock. His, his, all his children are killed. He loses everything. Even his wife says, Job, just curse God and die. I don't know why you're sticking with this God that allows these things to happen. So... Did God make those things happen to Job? No. He allowed them to happen because of what Satan was doing. Could he have stopped it? Yeah, God could have, but he allowed them to happen, right? So they happen in the midst of our world. Part of our fallen world is bad things happen all around us. I don't believe God points his finger and makes them happen. I know some people do, and I believe God allows them to happen. And then he says, now I'm going to help you get through this. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ into the world. As we go through those tough times, we are not alone. At our church, we say we exist to help people meet Christ in the midst of their story. We believe he's in every point, every aspect of your story, even before you know he's there. So as you're going through these tough times, Jesus is all around us waving his hands, revealing himself to say, you're not alone through this. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. So part of that. In, in Matthew 28, at the end of chapter of Matthew 28, the last thing Jesus says is, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
He's always with us. Even before we acknowledge that he's with us or before we call him Lord and Savior, Jesus says, I'm going to be with you even to the end of the age so that as we're going through those things, we get through them. And as Christ reveals himself to us, we discover that we weren't alone on this journey. And because of that, we start to develop a relationship with Jesus Christ and who he is and how he is in the midst of our lives, hoping to draw us to a point where we would say, Lord, I give your, my life to you. I can't do this on my own. I realize that a lot of bad things that happen in my life are because of my own decisions and my own shortcomings and my own, own sinfulness. So I want to get to a point where, Lord, I give my life to you so that I can get through these bad times and know that they're going to happen. My faith in Jesus Christ does not make me immune to the bad things in life, which then opens our eyes to see these horrible situations differently. We see them as survivable. We see them as manageable, and we see them for the fact that they're going to keep happening. They don't just end because we come to Christ. And that's how we get to this. There's this verse in Romans 8.28 where Paul says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What we're saying is that once you come to this relationship in Christ and you acknowledge that bad things happen, and we bring most of them on ourselves, and even if we don't, because of what happened in the garden, we're in the midst of a broken and fallen world, so they're happening all around us, that we get to a point where we no longer just, just go through them, but they help shape us because we know God's going to use them in our lives for good. Now, again, so one of my examples, my own example, my father died of Alzheimer's. One of the most important things in my father's life was family. And he gets a disease that makes him forget his own children. And I remember the day he was describing, I was sitting on a couch in, in their living room, my mom and dad's living room, and my dad is talking about how much he loves his two sons, and he's talking to me and my brother Brian, telling us about his two sons. That Those two sons, that was us. And I realized my dad doesn't know me anymore. And I was so angry at God at that point, saying, why did you do this? And I kept saying, why, why, why? As my dad's slowly fading away uh, mentally and, and not knowing us. Until one of the days when I wanted to yell why, the word what came out instead of why. And what I realized was that God was shaping me in the midst of this horrible time. And I realized that God didn't point his finger to my dad and say, you're going to get Alzheimer's because I want your son to learn more about me. What I realized is that Romans 8 verse came to life. My, God, my dad had Alzheimer's. God could have stopped it? Absolutely. He didn't. So I prayed for God, to God, what am I supposed to learn from this? What is this supposed to do to shape me and to reshape me to be a better Christian, to be a better son to my dad, to be a better father to my kids when I would have kids, and to be a better husband and a better pastor? And so this whole process that I just laid out from why do bad things happen from the Garden of Eden, from the fall, from Job being you know, beaten up by Satan and God allowing it, and God sending Christ to be with us through the bad things so that we are enter into a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, so that we can see the bad things that happen differently and see them as moments that God can use to shape us and actually use them for good. Then we approach them differently and we're changed because of them. So why do bad things happen? Because it's a fallen world. And if we in a relationship with Christ, instead of asking why, 
We can ask what? What are you going to do in my life to change me, God, through this bad, terrible time? So I don't know that that's the answer you're looking for. And I tried to do it in about eight minutes, and I think I'm around ten. But it's you know it's hard to encapsulate such a powerful question with such a big answer. And it's it's not just a one-line answer. It's it's a it's faith. It's the faith from the Garden of Eden to my entire life to a relationship with Jesus Christ to reshaping me through those bad moments. Not why did my dad get Alzheimer's, but what did it do in my life? What did God do through that to change me? So I, I see them differently. I, you know, as we sit here, guys, I just see, I know bad times are going to happen. And now I ask, what, God, what are you going to do to me through this to reshape me? So I... I don't know, guys, if that's the answer you're looking for, but that's a really deep question, and I've stood over it for 25 years in my faith, and that's just kind of how God, that's how he shapes me and steers me down that path. I don't know what your thoughts are. What do you think? The beauty of being a person of faith is that you you can see this question differently, and and you have that perspective of um, being a a follower of God and and being able to see and understand the question differently. I, I think the bottom line that people of faith have to come to accept that people without faith maybe will never be able to recognize is that we need bad things to happen. It's not easy to say, not easy to hear, but we need bad things to happen uh, because it's the bad things in life that remind us that we are not gods ourselves and that remind us how desperately we need to be in relationship with and, and soaking up the love and grace and comfort and provisions of the God whom we serve. So I, I think uh, the question of, you know, I have my, I have my own take on um, whether God created evil or allowed for evil or, you know, that's a, a fun conversation to have on many levels. As long as you're not uh, personally in the, in the midst of something, uh, then it becomes very, very serious, very personal. But um, it's a, an incredibly deep and, and um, kind of pulling out your hair conversation to have because people struggle with that. But uh, at the end of the day, to me, the takeaway has to be we need bad things to happen. Doesn't mean we seek them out. Doesn't mean we, we want them. Doesn't mean when we're in the midst of them that we understand why um, or maybe even the what sometimes. Um, but we have to understand that God uh, allows those things to happen in our lives for a reason because we, even if we cannot understand or see it in an eternal perspective through God's uh, perfect wisdom and vision, uh, there is a purpose for those things that somehow ultimately grow us, shape us, and draw us closer to him and closer to one another in the midst of dealing with those things. Yeah, and, that's, and that's why he did Job real quick. That's, he allowed it to happen to Job for a purpose, to prove Job's righteousness to Satan that even bad things will not cause Job to wander from our relationship. If anything, right. it will deepen it, yeah. and it did. Yeah. And, I, and I think, too, that um, regardless if you're following God or not, everyone is having bad things happening to him. But when you are following the Lord, you have a framework, a perspective, a lens in which we can look through our struggles and our problems with the understanding, as, as Paul and Dan have said, that we can see that the promise that our, we, have, we follow a loving God and a God who cares for us, a God who suffered, also suffered on the cross. So we know that we have a God that doesn't know how to relate to us. He does know how to relate to us. So as, as believers, we have this element uh, and this perspective of this relationship with God that gives us this um, ability to, to know that we have a God that suffers along with us and we have ability to see past just the pain that's in front of us. Um, and that's why a relationship with God is so important and critical um, and also so beneficial to have because we have that ability 
um, because that God provides us to see um, our pains and our struggles differently. Because we'll we'll face it regardless in life, whether we're following God or not. But to have that extra element and that perspective to see life differently through our relationship with God um, helps really helps us get through those tough times. I've had that happen with a lot of families who lost loved ones and were planning a planning a funeral or memorial service, especially people who have uh, lost someone unexpectedly or very young or um, just really having a difficulty dealing with the loss of a loved one, I always think um, they're crying out in their hearts, does anyone know what I'm going through? And God responds back to them, I do. I lost my one and only son. So to your point, Stephen, absolutely. We have a God who understands when we're going through the tough times because he lost his one and only son. He knows the ultimate in tough times. So, yeah, I love that, too, that when, when Jesus says, I'll be with you till the end of the age, yep. he's not only with us, but he's with us as a suffering Savior, and yep. he does understand. That, that's a great point. Yeah. Well, we're going <clears> to <throat> move on to our second question here that Paul is going to introduce us to um, that he's really been working hard on. And so you ready to ready for your question? Working hard on it, Stephen. Yeah, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll make a, a, a shift here, complete 180. And, and the question I, I'm prepared to dive into today is uh, simply, why do I need to read my Bible? So why why are our uh, Bibles significant, uh, important to us uh, as Christians? Um, first of all, the, you know, the angle I could have taken on this question, and uh, many of us may be thirsting for somebody to take or somebody to explain to them, is uh, why can we trust our Bibles? Uh, how can we trust and, and uh, feel confident that our Bibles are true, reliable, um, not corrupt? And uh, this is a, a question that I would love to have a conversation with anybody and everybody about, but personally, I am not equipped uh, to sit here in a a podcast format and uh, give out all sorts of reasons and explanations uh, pertaining to how the Bible was assembled or translated over the years or, or from language to language or passed down throughout history um, that can help us find some confidence in, in uh, addressing that question in particular. Um, so I happen to believe 100% that the Bible is true and accurate, reliable. Um, and so that is the the foundation we're going to lay, we're, we're going to uh, go into this question, assuming that that is the case. Uh, if you're not there yet and you're still struggling with the reliability of, of the Holy Scriptures, uh, there is no uh, struggle that is more important to find resolution to as a Christian than that, uh, because they are at the very center of, of everything that we do and everything we believe as uh, Christians. So I urge you to take the time and, and maybe seek out uh, one of the three of us uh, individually so we can have that conversation. But for today, the question is, why is it important to read our Bibles? And I'll throw out about a handful of reasons here for you. First of all, John 1.1, as we launch into the New Testament, we hear, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we skip down to verse 14, and we're told that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So all this talk of the Word of God and the Word becoming flesh. Friends, there's nothing more valuable to humanity than hearing from the voice of our Creator. 
And after sin entered the world, this this voice, uh, kind of in uh, going back to Genesis and the fall, as Dan was just talking about, this voice, the voice of God became muffled. Uh, it became kind of fuzzy and staticky. Uh, the only way humanity could hear from God was through these these prophets that God would speak through um, in very kind of choppy, intermittent ways. And uh, hopefully, as as people passed on uh, the wisdom and words of God from generation to generation. Uh, but hearing from the voice of God, God's wisdom, God's word for us is absolutely invaluable for us as Christians. So the generation of Christ got this incredible gift, right? When all of a sudden, after all these years of not really hearing from God in, in a meaningful way, in a reliable way, Jesus came and suddenly, as John 1 tells us, became uh, the word in flesh, in the form of flesh. Uh, so Jesus came and, and he lived out, he fulfilled the scriptures, but he also became like a, a walking word of God. God's love, God's message, his wisdom for us was personified uh, through Jesus. And of course now, um, getting back to the question of why is it important for us, uh, I think it's important for us to, to celebrate the privilege that we have in, in our generation living at this point in history that not only do we have uh, what the people of the Old Testament have, we have the prophets, we have the, the uh, original scriptures that the early Israelites had access to, but we also have uh, Jesus, we have the ministry of Jesus, we have the, the, the message of Jesus uh, lived out through the Gospels. We have, uh, on top of that, the, the ministry and the message of those early apostles who Jesus directly taught and, and trained to do what they did. Uh, but we also have the Holy Spirit, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit coming to us at, at Pentecost uh, that brings Jesus to life for us and allows and, and was there to uh, inspire the original recording of the scriptures, but also to aid us as we try and make sense of them uh, in this day and age as well. So uh, first of all, the, the first reason I think uh, we need to be active in the Word, reading the Word, is because of how incredibly important it is to stay connected to the voice of our Creator, the voice of God, and recognizing at that in, in saying that, that we are in a very privileged position here at this point in history and having uh, access to the Scriptures as we do, the Holy Spirit, the ministry of Jesus, all packaged into one uh, text that we can have access to anytime we want to pull it off the shelves. Uh, so that's reason number one. Reason number two is uh, going uh, digging deeper into the power and the role of the Holy Spirit in all of this. Uh, so the Spirit, like I said, was there to inspire the original authors as they recorded it. Um, the, the Holy Spirit is here for us as we interpret it. And what the Holy Spirit allows us to do is take those holy scriptures and, and make them more than just uh, a 6,000-year-old text that was written by you know people that lived at the other end of the earth, a totally different cultural and historical context from us. The Holy Spirit allows us to take those words and apply them to our lives today. So because of the role of the Holy Spirit working uh, through you as you're reading your Bible, and especially as you come along uh, alongside other people to study it and, and to read it and to learn from one another, the Holy Spirit works in us and can take, you know, a story about Jesus interacting with a, uh, a tax collector in, in 29 AD and somehow bring to life that story so that we can apply it uh, to us having maybe an interaction with our, our son-in-law in, in, in 2020 AD, right? It, the Spirit brings it all to life for us. Uh, reason number three is simply this. Human beings depend on, we rely upon sources of wisdom and authority uh, to navigate through our lives, right? 
we may not realize it. We may not be intentional about what those sources are, but everybody relies on something. They get they get their sources for what's right, what's wrong, what's true, and what's not true uh, from the things they expose them to, uh, expose themselves to in life. Maybe for you, it's a daily sports blog. Maybe uh, for somebody else, it's you know the. The real housewives of Timbuktu, that's where their truth comes from, right? We're, we're all over the place with those sources of authority in our lives. Uh, but we all learn to navigate life uh, from the things we experience and soak in around us. And the, the bottom line when recognizing this is, yes, our identity is rooted in uh, the, the sources that come from humanity, from other people, from things in our society. Uh, who we are by the time we're 18 is, is uh, defined by all of these uh, sources, the things we've been exposed to. But those are not sufficient. Uh, they, they just don't cut it. Um, we need a, a source that goes deeper than, than human influence. We need a, a divine source of truth and inspiration. And the, the Bible provides that. Uh, why? Because humans are wrong. Humans are unreliable. Humans often mess up. Uh, truth changes from day to day because of our, our selfishness, our pride, our emotions. Uh, humans, over the course of history, have messed up in so many ways. Uh, we simply cannot we cannot rely upon human sources of, of authority and wisdom as our, our sole means of, of figuring out who we are and what we're about in this world. If you think back throughout history, um, humans from, from one day to the next have changed uh, right from wrong in, in issues such as slavery, whether it's right or, or wrong. One day to the next changes. Uh, gay marriage, one day to the next it changes. Abortion, is it right or wrong? Depends on what time period you live on. Uh, you live in. Should we, should we care about the environment? One day it's important, the next day it's not. Uh, should women have jobs outside the home or should they uh, stay at home and, and care for the household? Uh, it changes depending on the generation. See, we can't rely on human truth uh, to, to dictate who we are and, and what we do in this world, uh, we need the Bible. Even if you believe the Bible has flaws, it's still the only source of divine truth that can guide us through all of this stuff. So uh, we absolutely need the Holy Scriptures to help with those things. Uh, reason number four, at its core, the Christian faith is rooted in this, this dynamic relationship of mutual love with our lords and uh, any relationship that we have in life but especially that with, with jesus christ is rooted in uh, us having quality time together us communicating well getting to know one another intimately and god is doing his part in our relationship he's spending time with us he's seeking us out he's he's talking to us he's pouring into us it's our job on our end to make sure that, that we're uh, taking care of our part, and that is by spending time with God, by being in relationship with Him. Uh, prayer and, and a number of other spiritual disciplines can aid in that, are, are incredibly essential, but nothing can replace sitting down with the Word of God open uh, in your lap in front of you uh, when it comes to being in relationship with God. That is His Word uh, dictated specifically for us with a message all about what our lives are supposed to look like, about who He is, about who we are, about our, our purpose here on earth. We cannot be in a healthy relationship with God if we're not in the Word of God on a regular basis. And finally, the last thing I'll throw out there that should, I guess it's not really another reason because that would be kind of a cop-out, but I'll simply say, why not? <laughs> reason number five, why not? Why not? What else? 
could truly come between you and, and, and having access uh, to the very words of God that are intended to guide you through good times and bad, to reveal God's wisdom and his plan for you and all creation. Uh, what else uh, could possibly be more important? What could keep you from spending time in the word of God? You know, of course, this is a rhetorical question. You know, we all have reasons, things that come between us and spending time in the Word, whether it's our struggle to understand it, whether there's just so many distractions in life. Maybe we, we don't trust uh, God's Word to be reliable. Um, and for much of my life, I've allowed those excuses or just pure laziness to come between me and, and having a, a steady rhythm of soaking in God's Word in my life. Uh, but right now, I happen to be on a good streak. Uh, thank the Lord. And I got to tell you, it's, it's just reading uh, a chapter a day from the Word. I'm going back and forth, New Testament one day, Old Testament the next. Um, but it is, it is so satisfying, so rewarding. Um, it, it's going to sound ridiculous. I read, I think it was Leviticus 18 the other day, all about um, the rules for the early Israelites on bodily discharges. Who would have thought? that I could experience uh, God's wisdom and learn something about uh, God or something about the world through a chapter on that. But there's a reason it's in the Holy Scriptures because God speaks to it. And I took uh, something away from that. I learned something about God even through that chapter, even in, in that material. Uh, so friends, invite other people to come alongside you on the journey. Uh, make sure you do it right. Make sure you do it uh, in an informed manner. But don't give up on God's word uh, just because you've struggled with it in the past or just because you have questions or concerns about it. Uh, it's worth your time to sort that stuff out and make sure it's a part of your daily life. Uh, that's uh, As much as I can encourage you, I would love to. Uh, so come find us and, and uh, we'll help you on that journey. But you got to have God's word in your life. And I think it's important, especially in this day that we live in, where um, everyone's kind of questioning what the truth is. And um, I think it's really important, as Paul was saying, that to have that anchor of truth of where do we go to when we live in such a very confusing world. And especially the time we live in now, it um, can be very difficult. Um, and I think having the guiding principles and also I just think of the Psalms and just there's so much, so much in Scripture that can give us truth and can give us purpose and meaning um, in the midst of so many things that are going on in our world and, and even in our lives personally. Is that even true of the Old Testament, Stephen? Oh, yes. Essentially, definitely Old Testament. Okay. <laughs> All right. Do tell. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, too, that it's the only book that's truly alive. Yeah. It has life. Yeah. And I've preached over 25 times Christmas Eve, and it's the same story. I'm reading the same scripture every year, and you would think, <clears throat> well, you just you run out of things to say, and you, you run out of stories to tell. And same with Easter. It's the same thing. The tomb is going to be empty. It's, it's not going to change from year to year. But what changes, we do. We bring a different person. Every time I come to Easter, I am a different person than I was a year ago. It's the only book in the world that invites us to bring all our garbage, to bring all our joys, to bring all our sins, to bring all of our stories and infuse it into what we're reading. Watch God take it, stir it up, change it, and then spit us back out changed. There's no other book in the whole world that does that. How many other books would you reread 25 times? But I'll reread the Easter scripture and the Christmas scripture every year and it's brand new every time I read it. There's no other book in the world that does that. So if, if for the one reason you go to that book, 
enter it knowing it's alive and take all of you into it. Don't just read it, but get into it and watch what God does. There's no other book out there like it. Give it a chance. Yep. Yes, and that's, which kind of, I think, is a great leeway into um, my the final question, my question here. And it's um, a question about Old and New Testament, so going back to the Bible. So a question I've heard before, um, many times actually, is why is God so different in the Old in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament? Um, and really, the root of this question is why why does God of the, why does the God of the Old Testament appear and act like a God of wrath, while the God of the New Testament appear and acts like a God of love? Um, and these are very good questions, and and I think it's really getting at the heart of is the character and nature of God is what we're really asking about. Um, and Scripture is very clear too when it when it comes to God, it says that God is not changing. Um, in Malachi verses chapter three verse six, it says, "I, the Lord, do not change." And then also in the New Testament, um, it says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So um, both testaments speak of an unchanging God, and and we bring this question up as as it says, "Why is God so appear so different in the Old and New Testaments when Scripture says that God does not change?" Um, we also need to remember that. Um, the writers of the New Testament um, saw themselves as extending and sharing the story of not a different God, but the same God that they grew up with um, and the same God that they read through the Old Testament. Because you remember, as they're writing the New Testament, there is no, there's, there's just the Old Testament. Um, so that's all they have. And they, saw, they see Jesus as an extension and the physical representation of the God of the Old Testament. So, um, we're going to dig into this question, um, how, how is God's wrath and judgment and God's love seen both in Old and New Testament? So, first to begin with God's wrath and how it's seen um, in the Old Testament. And um, when it comes to God's wrath, it always comes first, um, not without a warning and an encouragement to obey. Um, so God's commands to obey are not out of a hatred for his people. So God doesn't have a hatred for Israel. God's commands are to obey out of his, he, he commands for people to obey out of his love for his people and wanting them to flourish. Um, I think there's a really powerful verse in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. And it says that God doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they will turn from their ways and live turn turn from your ways so god god throughout the old testament is pleading for the people to turn from their ways and to come to him um, god's wrath comes to the children of israel after they repeatedly disobey time after time after time again and god is continually merciful and graceful towards them in seeking that they repent and change um, even I would argue the reason why the prophets came was to in order for the people to return back to their first love, which was God, um, and to return back to the one who freed them out of slavery in Egypt. This brings me to um, one of the first statements that God says to Moses after the children of Israel cross over the Red Sea. Um, this is God and how he describes himself to Moses. Um, God says, um, he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, 
keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. And a statement like that could be read in the New Testament as well, as of as, as if you were speaking of Jesus. Um, so we need to keep in mind that God, part of the defining characteristics of God as he describes himself is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and, and abounding in love and faithfulness. Um, and this, this statement that God says to Moses is repeated throughout Scripture and is one of the staples of God's, again, of God categorizing himself or describing himself to the people of Israel. Um, and this, so this statement of when God punished it is not out of hatred of Israel, but a determination to see his people grow and flourish and also to become a light and a beacon to the nations um, for other people will come to know him. And so then when we look at, when we look at wrath and punishment um, in the New Testament, um, this is seen in the cross of Jesus and the cross of Christ. And we see in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ suffered once for sin, the righteous, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. So that's another thing I want to also want to um, to draw importance to is that God's judgment and wrath is against the sin that is in the world. As Pastor Dan talked about when he went through the beginning of Genesis, and you see how the serpent deceived Adam and Eve, and they fell into sin. And ever since then, and, and this goes also to what Paul was saying. When you look at Scripture, the central focus of Scripture, if you want to water it all down and make it super simple, it's God redeeming his people, and it's God healing the broken world again. So at the beginning, you have a perfect world, then you have a broken world, and at the end, you have a redeemed or healed world. And everything that God does in between those sections is God working out his plan to redeem the world again. So when God shows his punishment and wrath, it's against the sin that is destroying his people and destroying the world. And, and God continually being graceful or gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love to the people who are sinning really against him and God seeking their repentance. And, and as Christians, that's we, what we believe as well, that when we come to Christ, we repent of our sins and we come to follow the Lord Jesus, knowing that he took the punishment for our sins. And the last, um, and I've already mentioned a lot about this, but the last thing I want to mention is God's love in the Old and New Testament. Um, so in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17 and 18, this is Nehemiah speaking about God. He said, You are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them, meaning his people, Israel, you did not desert them, even when they cast for themselves an image of the image of a calf and said, this is our God who brought us up out of Egypt, or when they com uh, committed awful blasphemies. So what Nehemiah is saying that even while the children of Israel, they built a calf after they were rescued over uh, rescued from slavery in Egypt, they built a calf and credited the calf with saving them. And even in the midst of that, God is still abounding and gracious and slow to anger and still was faithful to the children of Israel. Um, so Nehemiah knows, Nehemiah again is quoting what Moses had said hundreds of years earlier. And then looking at what the prophet Isaiah said about God's love, um, very poetically, he says, 
Through the mount, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. And this is the Lord speaking poetically of his love for Israel, his unfailing love for them, his, his, his peace for them, his compassion for them. That again, we have a, a God whose love that transcends both testaments and his love for his people. Um, and again, when it goes to the New Testament, um, we have 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. Um, and, and John writes, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So again, you can see the connection that the, between the writer of the Old Testament and the writer of the New Testament are speaking both of a God of love and a God of love for his people. And we love first because God showed his love to us. So God loved us first and so that we can also love others. So nobody can ever tell God anything about love um, because God really, um, in the essence, is the creator of love, that God is love in, John, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. And God also showed the example of love. So when, when it comes to understanding the Old and New Testament, and, and I know there are many passages that, are, that can be very hard and difficult to understand, but we must keep the foundations of we worship a God of love who loves us, and we also worship a God who punishes and judges sin. And, and both those things can exist in God, and we, we want a God of love who loves us. We also want a God who, uh, of justice who, who, who punishes sin sin so that he continues to make this perfect world and redeem our world into um, what he has envisioned for it. So, I, as, as you were going through that, <clears throat> I'm thinking anyone that's a parent gets this, or anyone that was punished as a kid by their parents totally understands this. So I was thinking when my son Benjamin was like four, we still lived in Shaker Heights, and one of his good buddies was across the street. And we made a rule, you cannot cross the street without looking both ways, right? Pretty simple. And why do we do it? Because I love my son, and I want nothing ever to happen to him. So that was like Old Testament, right? Yeah. Here's the rule. You can't do this. If you do, there'll be punishment. But I'm doing it because I love you so much, and I don't want to see you getting hit by a car and possibly lose you. Mm -hmm. So it's out of love. Old Testament, right? There was laws. They were in place. So one day we come out. His friend is across the street playing in the yard. He just takes off, runs across the street, doesn't look. So I am now angry because I could have lost him, right? All I pictured was a car going by hitting my son. I went over there, picked him up, brought him home. He's crying. He's yelling, I want to play with my friend. And I said, you're not allowed to play with him for two days. I forget what I said because you disobeyed my rule, right? That's Old Testament. He broke the rule. He got punished. But why? Because I loved him more than anything. But after I was done punishing him, we went into the house and I picked him up and I explained why I had to punish him. And I forgave him so that he could eventually go play again. That's New Testament, mm -hmm. right? I mean, all in that little rule of, don't, of you got to look both ways. I went through Old Testament into the New Testament of forgiveness. But to your point, Stephen, what grounded everything? Love. I loved him, set rules in place. I loved him, had to punish him because he broke the rules. And I loved him. I forgave him because I knew he learned from his mistake and he could go play with his friend again. 
I just love it. I think if you're a parent, you live it every day. And growing up, if you're ever punished for doing anything by your parents, you lived Old and New Testament in one in one action. Yeah. I love it. I love the way you explained it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's so hard to um, explain that and, and accept that, that the God of Old and New is, is both a God of love, that he didn't change, he didn't transform somehow in between. Um, but uh, to me, God didn't change. Our, our perspective of God changed. And um, so you might ask the question, you're uh, sailing past an iceberg in the sea. You ask, well, how tall is that iceberg? Well, it depends on where sea level is, right? You know, you don't know how tall it really is, but your perspective uh, of where that sea level is changes your perception of the height of the iceberg. I think the, the baseline changed from Old to New Testament, the baseline of what justice was. Uh, and, and it changed simply because of, of a single event, uh, that being the cross of Jesus Christ. So uh, the God of the Old Testament looked different because justice was different in the Old Testament. The reality of the world was that uh, sin was rampant and sin, uh, sin meant death. The, the causes of sin or the consequences of sin is death. And people deserved uh, to die. They deserved to, to not even exist uh, in the Old Testament. So everything that God uh, did for his people and through his people, uh, these were all acts of grace. So really, God, in, in that way, in that sense, showed more grace in the Old Testament than he, he did in the New because of how much uh, grace he, he poured upon his people who didn't even deserve life in the first place. Uh, but the event of the cross changed everything. Justice looked different on the other side because grace became the baseline uh, when Jesus died on the cross. And so our perception of uh, what what's right, what's wrong, what, you know, the God of wrath versus the God of grace, everything changed uh, because of the cross on the other side. And we could go on for hours um, with the, with that topic. Uh, Stephen, thank you for breaking yeah. it down so beautifully, reminding us at the end of the day, God is a God of love, uh, no matter what our perspective, no matter which testament. Yeah. But we're still supposed to keep working at getting better, right? Mm. Because he is the God of forgiveness and grace in the New Testament as we see it. It's not a... It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card yeah. so that I can keep living a life of, of, of doing harm in this world. Yeah. I'm supposed to be striving each and every day to be better than the, than the day before, and I think that's where some people miss the mark, yeah. right? Yeah. That, oh, okay, we're all forgiven, so I can do whatever I want. It's, and, and, and so it's, it's still that, that process of punishment is out there and still should be out there, right? There are yeah. consequences for the bad decisions I make, but ultimately... I know I'm forgiven, and I choose Christ as my Lord and Savior, and that should mean I'm living a different life on the other side of that choice. And I, Absolutely. I think yeah. some people miss it. Like, and see it as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Yeah. We have to yeah. be careful about yeah. that. And, I, and to wrap it up, and, and also, too, it's remembering that our obedience is driven out of our love for God. So it's yeah. you don't want to um, – because you can have obedience out of fear, but we don't obey out of fear. We obey out of love because we love the Lord because he first loved us, and we um, obey through – through loving him back. Um, so as we wrap it up, I want to just thank everyone for listening. Thank you so much for those who have um, been listening to these podcasts. Paul and I have been um, just overwhelmed with all your great words, and um, it's been really great to have Dan on here as well and him, him sharing his perspective, and maybe you've really enjoyed hearing a, hearing a new voice. Um, as I wrap this up, I just want to remind, us, remind you that there, this Sunday we're going to have three services so we have 8.30, we have the parking lot service. Um, and then for at 10 o'clock, we're going to have our first in-person service. 
Um, and there's a video online on the website that is going to walk you through how that's going to look. Um, it's going to be different um, than the last time we were here, um, but it's also going to be great to be a community again and to see um, each other's face. But online, there's a website that's going to walk you through that in-service in process, uh, how that's going to look different at the 10 o'clock service. And then at the 1130, we're going to continue our streaming service for the 1130 service. So continue to tune in to that. Um, so you can tune on the website to see the streaming or, or our Facebook um, page to see the streaming 1130 streaming service. Um, and again, thank you for listening and um, really appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week.